Ephesians. We're going to start out there in a minute. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple verses here. So growing up in Pennsylvania, um, uh, you know, football is always a big thing and, uh, you know, it's not emphasized a ton in my house growing up. My dad wasn't really a football fan. Um, but uh, our, we used to go, as a family, we went to the chiropractor, you know, like the guy that moves your bones and gets you back in shape and all that stuff. Well, our chiropractor was an off-the-chart Penn State fan. I mean. I always remember, you go into his bathroom and the toilet seat said Penn State all over it. So that's when you know you're a real fan. And so from a very young age, I always heard about, you know, Penn State games and, you know, man, having a, over 100,000 people in one state, like you can't even imagine. And so I heard about this all the time, but, you know, I'm not going to go to a Penn State game, you know. Um, and so... Um, in my 20s, one of the guys at my last church was an alumni from Penn State, and he invited me one time and said, hey, Steve, have you ever gone to a Penn State game? I'm like, well, no one ever invited me, you know, because I'm not going to go by myself. Um, he said, well, I'm inviting you. You want to join me? And I said, I would love to. And so uh, I went to my first uh, Penn State game and remember walking into the stadium um, and saying, overwhelmed by how many people there were in that small area. And if you like close quarters, don't go to a college football, at least don't go to a Penn State game, because they pretty much jam you in as close as you can be. Um, but it was fun, and, you know, that idea of being invited. Being invited is a very honoring thing. And you think of the other side of that, you know, if you hear of someone who is doing something and you didn't get the invitation to, to attend or to join your friends, how that feels as well. It can be a very hurtful thing. And so this next reality that we're going to look at is that God, you know, that's kind of the key word, invites. God invites you and God invites me to be involved with him and in his work. He invites us. Because he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. So I just want to kind of go back through and review um, the, the couple realities that we've looked at already. These truths that God is always working. We, you know, we, we heard that. That he, he, he's always working. He, he's never tired. He doesn't have to nap. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't kick his feet up and say, you know what, I want to go on vacation. Um, but he's always working. And we talked about that. And one of the things that we grounded that to is that one of the major ways that God's working is he's, he's about redemption. He is about reconciling people in this world because every human being that has been conceived and born needs reconciled to God. We're not born good in and of ourselves. We have value, but we are sinners in need of a Savior. Every one of us. And God's work is to help us see that he has provided the sacrifice. And so last week we talked about the next one and that God pursues you. 
He's in pursuit, and that's part of his work. Because getting to us sometimes is, a, is hard. Our heads are thick. Our attentions are scattered on other things. But God is about pursuing because really what he wants is a relationship with us. That's what he wants. He's a father who cares about his children. And so then, and, and like I said, then the last the one that we're going to look at this morning is that God invites us to be involved with him. And that's a key word. Invites us to be involved with him and his work. It's not about what we want to do. It's not about our will as much as it's about God's will. We read that verse in Psalm 136. He is good. Not just sometime, not just 80% of the time. He is good all of the time. Everything that he ever does is good. And so Ephesians 2.10, I think, puts that out to us. And basically, the first nine verses, he's shared the good news of Christ, the, the gospel, what God has gone through uh, to reconcile us, to redeem us. Um, and then at the end, and again, these guiding principles really are for us as believers. If you're not a believer, you need to trust Christ first. That's where your starting place is, um, where you recognize who Christ is. And so here's what he says in verse 10. He says, for we talking about believers, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which I prepared? Is that what he says? No, who prepared them? God prepared them. You see, this is all about him. It's about his glory. It's about he knows what he's doing. It's about he sees the bigger picture. And so that's why this, through this whole study, it's really about our relationship with God. Walking intimately with Him. Walking in fellowship with Him. Listening to Him. Willing to adjust to what it is He wants to do. And so let me finish the, the verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him, that we should walk in them. And so that idea that God is inviting us to be involved with him in his work of redemption, that's what is needed. And it's messy, and it's hard at times, and sometimes we're not sure what to do. We're not sure which step to take. I don't want to over, overstep my boundaries, but you know, if I don't ever say anything, that's not loving either. And so he, he's reminding us here that it's really, it, we have, can be freed up and we can rest in God. And and it's, he has the plan, and all we have to do is keep listening and be in tune with his word and what he's doing. And we will walk in his good works. And that way he gets the glory. And so it's not natural. We don't just do it naturally. And that's why I flip back to uh, Matthew 16. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so Jesus is saying this walk of faith takes a lot of denial, denying yourself. How often, you know, and again, when Jesus is sharing this, this is, he didn't get to the cross yet. All they knew was it was the Romans' way of, you know, the most humiliating birth or death that you could experience, death on a cross. And he says, you know what, if you want to follow me, once, once a year you take up your cross. Is that what he says? No, how often? Daily. So every day when you wake up, the question is, am I going to deny myself today? Am I going to follow Christ? Am I going to be willing to listen? And that might mean that God is going to throw a wrench in your day and totally mess your plan up that you had because he has something else in store. God invites us to be part of his plan and his work. But we, what we have to constantly do is surrender. We have to constantly, because we are fixated on ourselves, we keep thinking, well, no, this is what I want to do. And especially in our culture, we are very driven. Here's where I'm going today. Here's the 83 things I'm going to do. And I don't have any time to get off track on one of them, or I'm only going to get 82 done, and then I'll be discouraged. And so we need to deny ourselves. Flip over to Galatians 2. Galatians 2, verse 20. So after the cross, here's how Paul put it. And this is to believers that he's saying here. Galatians 2.20. And again, this, you know, if you need another verse to memorize, this would be a great one. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. You see that God is about relationship. He's not about us just doing a bunch of things for him. He wants to enjoy closeness, fellowship with, with him. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's just echoing. Paul's echoing what Jesus said earlier. You wake up today, God, am I going to deny myself? Am I going to take up my cross? Am I going to live for you? And I can, am I going to be mindful of you? And am I going to join you in your work and seeing that you are doing things at times that don't make human sense from our vantage point? It doesn't look like, what are you doing, God? This doesn't, I, I don't understand this. And that's why our walk with Christ is very crucial to that. That's why we have to trust him and, and walk with him and, and allow him uh, to, to call those shots because he has the bigger perspective over what we have, over what we have. Turn over to John, and, and uh, this is the, one of the, the memory verse for this week in the chapter, John 14. John 14, 21. Here's what he says. 
I think this is, you know, it all comes down to love, our love for God. And I appreciate your words there. And I think, you know, that's exactly, um, you know, what Jesus is saying here. What does it mean to love God? There's a lot of people that say they love God. But Jesus grounds love for God is not just what we say. It's, it's more than that. It takes action on our part. It takes us denying ourselves. It takes putting into practice what God says. So here's what he says, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So whoever has my commandments, do we have God's commandments? Where do we have God's commandments? Show us. Matt has his phone up. That's right. This is where God's commandments are. So we have them, but does he say having them is enough? No. Whoever has them and keeps them, puts them into practice, doesn't just say, well, I know what the Bible says. I'm sure we could all probably share some stories of people that we know that know a lot about what the Bible says, but when it comes down to it, they don't act on what God says. They don't live it out. And again, they're in process, so we're not judging them. We're just saying that, and, and Jesus is putting down here to say, you want to know if you really, the test of whether you love me or not? Do you obey me? Do you listen to me? Do you trust? Obedience and trust go together. Do you believe that these commands are for your protection and for your good and for your benefit? And that's very important to us. It's very important to God so that we don't just, well, I love God, but do I really love God? It comes down to what we're willing to do. A number of years ago, I... Uh, had a friend in my life that uh, um, cared about him, and, and uh, he came to know Christ um, in his life. And somewhere along the way, he, we kind of lost contact, and, and uh, he found a girl that he was dating, and, and uh, they were living together, and they had a, a child together. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, hey, he's a believer here. And so I had this prayerful, like, God, how do I? How do I talk to this guy about where he's at in the process? Um, and, um, and so when I finally got the gumption up to talk to him about where he was at, um, you know, uh, and, and as I'm sharing this with him, he, he said, you're so right, Steve. I never even thought about this. He said, and under my bed has been my Bible all this time. I've been sleeping on the commands of God, but I have not been listening to them. And it's kind of made me laugh when he, when he kind of shared that with me of, you know, he recognized that he was sleeping, you know, on, on the commands of, of Scripture, and it took someone to be honest with him, but it was a risk. And his response was one of, you know what, what do we need to do to make this, how do we make this right? And so we kind of walk through that. But it's a reminder to us that knowing the commands is not enough. Act 
reflecting on them. And none of us are perfect. The issue is, how are we striving? What is our heart intent? What's our heart intent? God, I, I want to carry these commands of Scripture out. I trust you. And look at one other, one last verse here from 1 John 3, verse 18. I was reminded about this one. Sarah reminded me. A number of years ago, I uh, lost my wedding ring. Um, that was probably, I don't know how long ago. I got another one. This is the cheap one. That was the better one. But she reminded me this week of the, each of us, we put, uh, we had scripture passages inscribed on the inside. And, and I had forgotten, but 1 John 3.18 was the verse that she had. And she reminded me about that this week. And it really applies as we were talking about the message. And we were talking about, you know, um, loving God and, and what that means. And so uh, verse 18 says this, 1 John 3.18. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. Let me read it again. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so the idea is that words aren't enough. If we just talk about loving one another, if we do that as a church, well, we just talk about it, but we don't ever respond when someone's gone through a hard time or pray for one another, or whatever that look, if, if we don't respond relationally, it's just another fake community. But our love needs to be grounded in action. Now, obviously, he's not saying here, we don't ever say that we love one another. Words are an integral part, right? But they're not the only part. If all we do is talk, and we don't ever have action, we're imbalanced. And so he's coming back to this idea, and I think this is exactly, you know, that, that God invites us to be involved with him. But we have to do it his way. We have to walk in his way so that we're carrying out the work of God in the way that he wants us to do that. And so that's going to be our task this week as we um, do our study this week and as we think about those things about God, help us to be he invites us to be involved with what he is doing and what that looks like. So last week at our uh, life group, at the end of our conversation, Bryce said, hey, I, I got a story I want to read that kind of, and, and after he read it, you know, as I was working on the sermon this week, I said, you know what, this is a good way to end. And I think this word picture puts in perspective um, just this principle that God invites us uh, to be in, uh, involved with what he's doing. And so I'm going to give the mic to Ray. He's going to read. Worship team's going to come up. And uh, then we're going to sing a couple songs. But just listen as Ray reads this word picture. This is called The Road of Life by a guy named Tim Hansel. Um, I first heard Chuck Swindoll quote it in one of his sermons, probably in about 1995. But... It's stuck with me ever since then, and I referred back to it quite a bit. The Road of Life. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, 
but I really didn't know him. But later, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike, and Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested that we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts, up mountains and through rocky places, and at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He just laughed and didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I found that in giving, I received. And still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets, how to make it bend to take sharp corners, jump to clear high rocks, and fly to short and scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breezes on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do it anymore, he just smiles and says, pedal. Stand up. <laughs>